Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, as we approach the end of the liturgical year and look forward to the great festival of Christmas only six weeks away, Holy Church places before our eyes the vision of things more and more eschatological. That is to say that each week as we approach the beginning of Advent, the readings at Mass increasingly become more and more apocalyptic, with references to the end of times and the second coming of the Messiah, when the veil shall be torn away and we shall each be judged according to our works. Last Sunday, St. Paul exposed his battle plan for the Ephesians in order to prepare them for the evil day. And in last week's Gospel, our Divine Redeemer recounted the parable of the unforgiving servant who faced a terrible judgment, an image of the last judgment to which each of us will be forced to one day submit. Today's lesson and Gospel follow in the same vein of allusions to the end of times. In the Epistle to the Philippians, read at today's Mass, St. Paul refers to the Day of Judgment as the Day of Christ Jesus, rather than the evil day as he did last week. The Gospel, so so well known to us as our Lord's political philosophy, is also decidedly eschatological, helping us to focus on the one thing necessary, that is, faith in Him by whom we are saved. Faith is the desire for things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, according to St. Paul. Faith is the theological virtue by which we firmly believe the truths that God has revealed. By faith, man completely submits his intellect and his will to God. With his whole being, man gives assent to God, the revealer. God reveals certain facts, particular truths concerning himself and our salvation, truths which are difficult for us to comprehend because of our weak human condition. We, in return, must believe what he reveals, for he can neither deceive nor be deceived. Every Christian is then called, in every circumstance, to live a life that is coherent with the faith he professes. We know from our catechism that God made us to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world so that we can be happy with him forever in the next. And our Lord in today's gospel shows us just how much we ought to do in order to save our souls and to be happy with him forever in the next life. Render unto God the things that are God's. Commenting on this gospel passage, St. Hilary of Poitiers says that if we ought to render unto Caesar the tribute because his image is engraved on the coin, it is necessary for us also to render to God the things that are God, namely our body, our soul, and our will, for we, create, we are created in his image and likeness. Just a few weeks ago, on the Feast of Christ the King, our Lord said, For this was I born, and for this I came into the world, that I should give testimony to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. We, who would be his faithful children and his loyal subjects, ought to fully assent with all the power of our wills, even if we do not fully understand, to the truth he proposes, and not scoff, as so many do following the example of Pontius Pilate, saying sarcastically, what is truth? He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the the Father except through him. 
Today, and this is nothing new, but a recurring problem throughout the history of the Church, many argue that faith does not matter all that much, but that it is charity, it is love that counts. After all, doesn't St. Paul say, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not charity, I am nothing, and that the greatest of these is love. But in today's epistle to the Philippians, St. Paul qualifies the charity which he would see in the hearts of believers. I pray that your charity may abound more and more in knowledge and in all understanding. It must abound more and more in knowledge and in all understanding of salvation, that is, in faith. It is faith that constitutes the basis of all supernatural virtue. It is what makes charity a theological virtue. A restricted and a diminished faith could never support a large and lofty charity. Those, therefore, those men, therefore, are deceiving themselves whose love for revealed truth does not keep up pace with their acts of charity. Such a Christianity as this believes as little as possible. It has a nervous dread of dogma and definitions of the faith, and out of respect for error, it cleverly and continually narrows the supernatural horizon, resting on a purely human and horizontal plane. Charity, they say, is the queen of virtues. It makes them take everything easily and makes accommodation. It lies against the truth. To give the same rights to error as to the truth in their estimation is the highest point of a Christian attitude grounded on love. They quite forget that the first object of charity is God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with all the strength of thy mind. But God is substantial truth. He is truth itself. He has no greater enemy than a lie. They do not understand how it is that a Christian does not do a work of love by putting on the same footing the object beloved and his mortal mortal enemy. Their supposed charity is in fact merely philanthropy and avails little to eternal life. Let us not then follow this unchristian example, but rather let us do small things with great love. May our charity be informed by our faith in him who will render unto each according to his deeds. May our love for him animate our love for our neighbor, and may his holy mother lead us to render unto him the things that are his. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.